morning, Grand Point. Would it be appropriate just for me to give you a warm welcome today? It is. It's kind of a cold place right now all across our nation. My goodness, the South is kind of getting hit, and there's so much of that cold weather out there. I know some of you are those cold weather people, but I was trying to think of some way that I could just warm us up here this morning. Did you know that right now in the Southern Hemisphere, it's like August? Anybody want to go there? I mean, I, I'm just looking forward to that August, but um, I, want to, I want to just uh, try to warm us up again. So there, you know how this goes. If I say it is so cold out there, you say, how cold is it? You know how this goes? Ready for a groaner? Here we go. It is so cold out there. It is so cold that I saw a whole line of chickens lined up outside Chick-fil-A just to get into the deep fryer. Go ahead and groan it. Online audience, I know you love my jokes. Uh, They love my jokes so much that they got me some joke books. It's your fault. Hey, welcome online. So good to have all of you in the house here today. Uh, I do have a few things, though, that I think will warm you up a little bit. A few things that are happening in February, February 12th. Mark this date. We have something here at the church called Dine and Donate. Our youth are heading out for a missions trip this summer. It's going to be kind of a local trip, but nevertheless, they're on mission all in, and they've given us an invitation to help provide for them, so we're going to do some fundraising uh, for this dinner. It's Dine and Donate February 12th. There are three options, 4 o'clock, 5 o'clock, and 6 o'clock. We'd love for you to sign up for one of those times, though, and the sign-up sheet is right outside the door at the youth, uh, youth center. So right before you enter into the uh, multi-purpose room, uh, Scott, Amy are out there helping you to sign up for that. Now, some of you are thinking, uh, some of you guys are thinking, ooh, this is the Valentine's Day dinner. Okay, you can do this. You can take your spouse out. This can be your date. However, it's not necessarily intended to be that. It's close to Valentine's Day, but you are invited to bring all the kids to this as well. You don't want to do that on February 14th, so keep that as a special day. So that's happening on February 12th right here at the church. February 27th, we're doing another dinner, and this is a get-to-know Grand Point uh, dinner. Uh, Typically, we do this for the new members that are thinking about joining the church, and you're wanting to know a little bit about that process. This can serve as that, but it goes beyond that. We want to invite anyone who's fairly new to us, uh, fairly new to our church, just to come out to this dinner on February 27th, 6 o'clock p.m. We're going to meet over in the fellowship hall. We're just going to talk about Grand Point, uh, what God is doing here, who we are, where God's taking us. And if you're just interested in knowing a little bit more about the church, come on out to that as well. You can sign up online uh, or, you know, stop at the hub and, and give us that information as well. One other thing that I'm planning to do during the month of February is, you you know, if you've been here at this church for any amount of time, whether it's in a small group, circle, Sunday school class, or in a worship service, we always, always, always use the Word of God. We call this being bibliocentric. We want all of our messages to come from the Word of God, uh, the Word of Truth, because we can't go wrong with that. So, And I'll give you this permission. If I ever do a message without getting into the Word of God, you call me out on that, because I don't ever want to go there. I want to stay true to the Word of God. One of the things that I'm excited about is this new message series called Destinations. And my goal for this series, my prayer for this, my prayer for you would be that we would all work through this series and at the end of it have a brand new destination of significance in our journey of discipleship. 
One of the things that we want to do is emphasize the reading of the Word through this series. Typically, when we do a message, we interweave the gospel or the Word of God into the, into the message. But throughout this series, we're going to have the Word of God stand alone. We're going to have a reader read through the entire Word, and then we're going to respond by saying, thanks be to God. In some of your traditions, and maybe some of the places that you came from, you understand the liturgy of the Scripture to go something like this. There's an Old Testament reading, a New Testament reading, and then the Gospels. The Gospel is the high point of the liturgy of Scripture. And typically when the gospel is read, and and this is why, because the gospel talks about the life of Christ, the person of Christ and his ministry, and people stand for the reading of the word. And then at the end of the reading, the scripture reader says the word of God, and everyone responds, thanks be to God, because it is truly a gift that God has given to us. That's what we're going to do through this series, and today I'm going to invite Barry Martin uh, to come. Uh, Barry and Linda have been members here at Grand Point, have been friends to many of us, and have served this church so well. And uh, Barry has agreed to read the scripture lesson this morning. Uh, So to hear the word of the Lord, church, would you please stand? Scripture reading comes from Mark 1, 1 through 15. Hear the word of the Lord, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I stand my messenger before you, who will prepare your way, the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Prepare the way of the Lord. Make your paths straight. John appeared, baptizing in the wilderness, and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to, to him and were being baptized by him in the Jordan River, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son. With you I am well pleased. The Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness forty days, being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals, and the angels were ministering to him. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God, and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. This is the reading of the word. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Barry. You may be seated. Well, thank you, Barry. Hey, it is so good to be back with you after uh, two weeks away. Uh, And again, I'm excited to begin this brand new series through the Gospel of Mark called Destinations. Some of you are familiar with destination weddings. Some of you had them or you've been to them right? A destination wedding is a wedding that happens outside of your town, somewhere distant, and they're all over the place. But by far, by far, the most common place for destination weddings is still the Caribbean. 
I've never been invited to one, but I'm telling you, just for the record, I'd be willing to go. I would. I will go to Jamaica. I will go to Dominican. I will go to Aruba, St. Lucia, Bahamas. It will come with a cost, but I'm not adverse to sand, sun, or beach casual, right? I will do it. I will do that. Just saying. Well, this past week, Penny and I were at a destination funeral. Uh, we were in Tennessee. I shared with you again uh, last or before I left that our nephew uh, passed away from COVID, and so we were able to go to his funeral in Franklin, Tennessee, uh, near Nashville. And it was, it was a great week. We got to go a little bit early, spend some time with his surviving spouse, our niece, and his five children. We spent a day in the park with them and uh, were able to visit with family members prior to the funeral service. But at the funeral, I realized just how much of a destination funeral this was. Uh, my nephew lived in Chicago for quite, for most of his life and career. And so there were several athletes from Chicago who came, including the legendary Bill Cartwright, uh, former coach of, of uh, Chicago Bulls during the time of Michael Jordan. And I never knew it, but my nephew was great friends with Bill. Bill came to the service along with several other athletes. I met some business partners from Missouri. I met a friend uh, who came in from Florida. And I realized that all of these people came to this destination for this moment of significance. That's really what this series is all about. We're going to take this journey. We're going on to a place where there's a destination for you and I as disciples of Jesus Christ. We're going to work through the gospel of Mark beginning with Jesus at the Sea of Galilee, and we're going to journey with him all the way to the cross of Calvary. And all the way through that journey, we're going to walk with Jesus. We're going to hear him speak to us. And he's going to say, he's going to speak to some of his disciples, say, hey, come and, and follow me. And then along the way, we're going to hear him give some instructions to us. And our goal in this destination is to become more like him, to become disciples or followers of Jesus that become more like him in every way, embracing his nature, having his mind and expressing his love. And so my goal by the end of this journey is to arrive to that destination of significance. Hey, we've just completed this series called All In, and I greatly appreciate Chris and Doug who took the last two weeks of the series and uh, left us with this, what, what I would say, heart-wrenching challenges about what it means to go all in for Jesus Christ. Didn't these guys do a great job? Someone told me this morning, man, the last two weeks, yeah, you can go ahead and give it up for them. Someone actually told me this morning that if I didn't come back this week, probably the third substitute would, would eliminate me completely. Uh, I wouldn't be needed anymore. So anyway, I'm back. I'm back. But those guys did a great job. Now, what that series left us with, though, is some of us are still sitting here wondering, what does that mean for me? What does it mean for me to go all in? Oh, I can think of other people, you know, and maybe where they should go, but what does it mean for me? I, I've, I've had conversations with some of you, and you're wondering, my, my goodness, this kind of wrecked me. Does this mean I changed my job? Does it mean I changed my ministry? Does it mean that I, I step out in faith? Does it mean, uh, what does it mean for me? And we're asking those kinds of questions. So I want to personally invite you to take this action-packed journey with us through this series called Destinations because I believe this may help answer some of your questions. So take your Bible, your study guide, follow along on the screen as we begin our journey today in Mark chapter 1, verse 1. I'm going to be reading from the English Standard Version, and here's what it says. It says, the beginning 
How many of you like new beginnings? Hey, would, you, would you agree that there's nothing like a pandemic, a war, or personal crisis that makes us long for a new beginning? Right? Sometimes we just love these new starts, new beginnings, because where we're at right now is just kind of old, it's kind of stale. Maybe we need that new beginning. It's why some of us like the new year. Well, this gospel apparently is the beginning of something, and it is the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. This book of the Bible shows us a way to a new beginning. And this beginning, this new beginning might be the first time some of you step out on a journey to follow Christ. For others, it might be, no, we're just taking an additional step, a next step in that journey. Or for others, it might be a reminder of that step that we've taken and are now on. The Gospels, or Mark is one of the four books in the Bible called the Gospels. Gospel simply means good news. We're up for some good news, right? So here comes Mark. Um, the first four books of the New Testament are what we call the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The Gospels are not written by some historian who is creatively reconstructing Christ from some extent materials. The Gospels are unique in that they are written by an eyewitness of Jesus Christ, someone who was there, someone who saw Jesus, someone who heard Jesus, or knew someone that did. So we believe that Mark is written primarily by Mark or John Mark, but it's also credited to uh, Peter, uh, the apostle Peter, who told Mark a lot of what he saw in Jesus' life, and then Mark simply wrote it down. But it's the shortest of the four Gospels, and it is an action-packed book. It's vigorous, and it's a lively account of the Gospel of Jesus Christ. And it doesn't take you very long into the reading of the Gospel of Mark to realize that Mark's favorite word is immediately. Immediately. This guy's right on it. Matthew or Mark chapter 1, verse 10 says, And when he came up out of the water, immediately saw the heavens open. Verse 12, the Spirit immediately drove him into the wilderness. Verse 18, and immediately they left their nets and followed him. Verse 20, and immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee. Verse 22, they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue. Verse 23, and immediately there was in the synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. Verse 29, and immediately he left the synagogue. Verse 30, now Simon's mother had a fever, and immediately they told him about her. Verse 42, and immediately the leprosy left him, and he was made clean. And that's just chapter 1. So when you enter a highway, there's a section of road called the acceleration lane, right? And it's clearly marked by these solid lines, and the length is appropriate for you to ramp up and accelerate so that you can merge right onto the highway at the same speed that those on the highway are traveling, right? So I usually take the full length of the acceleration lane, stay within the solid lines, and merge just like I'm supposed to. But inevitably, there's some guy behind me coming down the ramp, who as soon as he gets into the ramp, he looks over and sees the road. Boom, immediately he's on the road, and then he accelerates, and it makes it hard for me to merge, right? Ever happened to you? Now, I don't know if this is just my imagination or uh, maybe some of my uh, short-term memory, but it's usually those who are driving like Mach-E's, BMW Z4s, Honda Civics, or Mini Coopers. What's the matter with you people? Let me merge, right? Just let me jump on it. 
But this is kind of like the gospel of Mark, man. He's not accelerating through some genealogy. He's, genealogy. He's not ramping up through the birth account of Jesus Christ and Christ growing up. No, he's John Madden. Boom, he's right in there. Here's Jesus, right? Jesus is coming to begin this ministry, and here he is. He's the one that Isaiah prophesied would come long, long time ago. Here he is. Now, John the Baptist is also saying Jesus is coming, and here he is. So all that leads us to verse 9, where it says, in those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. The first thing that Mark talks about is the baptism of Jesus. Now, some of you are out there thinking, wait a minute. I thought baptism was like for those people that were sinners, and then they got saved, and so now we're baptized to celebrate or symbolize the fact that we died to our sins and were raised to Christ, we're raised with Christ again. Does this mean that Jesus sinned? It's like over in Kids Point. One time the teachers were saying to the kids, hey, what must you do to be saved? And some kid raises his hand. He's like, you got to sin, right? You got to sin, right? Well, of course you do. If you're going to be saved from something, you have to sin so you can be saved. Does this mean that Jesus uh, sinned? No, let me explain what happens here. Because you've heard that Jesus was sinless, right? He didn't sin at all. Yes, Jesus was the sinless son of God. When he asked, and the reason he asked John to baptize him was because Jesus, who was the sinless Son of God, took upon himself your sins and my sin and the sins of the entire world. Just like Jesus did not have to die, Jesus did not have to be baptized until he became the bearer of our sins. And that's what he did when he came into this world. He came to take all of our sins upon himself. In other words, from the very beginning of his ministry, Jesus demonstrated that he was the promised Messiah, or in the words of John the Baptist, the lamb who came to take away the sins of the world. The very reason that Jesus was baptized is because of your sins and my sins that he took upon himself. His baptism was a sign of this great truth, and it was confirmed immediately by heaven with this voice declaring, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. So when Jesus was baptized, the writer says in verse 10, when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. Right here at this moment is when Jesus was uniquely equipped by the Holy Spirit for his unprecedented and universally significant work as the spirit of God descended on him. So now it's Jesus God in the flesh with the Spirit empowering him. And it says in verse 11, this voice came from heaven and said, you are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. I want you to see this. Jesus is the son that's being baptized. The Spirit descends on him and the Father speaks of his approval. At this scene in Mark chapter 1, verse 11, we have the appearance of each member of the Godhead. The entire Trinity is here, and it gives me this picture of this big um, hug fest that's happening among the Trinity, right? The Father, the Son, and the Spirit, they're all together in this, and they're all a part of the beginning of Jesus' ministry, and it's almost like God the Father is just giving Jesus this big hug and says, way to go, Son, I'm pleased with you. The Spirit is also there in this. Now, what happens in the next verse, though, baffles me. Because the very next verse says, and you won't believe what happens. It says, the Spirit, right, part of the Godhead, that was part of this, this pleasing moment where God says, this is my Son who I love. The Spirit was there descending on him. But now the Spirit 
immediately drove Jesus out into the wilderness. Mark uses the strongest language possible to talk about what happened here. Now, stay with me. I just want to work through this text, and then I want to leave you with two instructions about following Christ. But I want to give you a, a, a peek at the Greek here for a moment. This word drove, when the Spirit drove Jesus out, is this Greek word ex bala, which simply means to thrust out. Picture this, this bouncer, right? This big bouncer picking up some little guy and just thrusting him out of the establishment because you don't belong here. It's this throwing out. That's exactly what happens here. The Spirit threw him out, cast him out, drove him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan, and he was with the wild animals. What is up with this? It goes from one verse where God is saying, this is my beloved son, I love you, son. Man, I'm so pleased with what you do, to the very next verse saying, the Spirit drove him out into the wilderness. Out where Satan is, out where the wild beasts are. I'm thinking if I were a dad and I love my son, I would do everything to keep him from the wilderness, to keep him from Satan, to keep him from the wild beast. Here's a possible explanation of what just happened or what Mark is doing. Mark is writing this gospel from Rome, and he's writing to a Roman audience. And uh, the Romans had this custom of throwing people into an arena with wild beasts. It was the way they punished criminals. So a guy you know, had, had these charges against him, and this criminal came in, and instead of locking him up for the rest of his life, no, they would throw him into the wild animals. They cast him in. Picture Daniel. The Bible talks about Daniel being thrown into or cast into the lion's den. The idea was that these wild beasts would just devour him. So that's kind of the picture here, perhaps in this Roman world. Now, I want you to hold that thought for a moment, because actually, they also did this to Christians as well, because the gospel was offensive. And so they considered Christians as enemies of the state or of, of Rome, and so they would cast them into the, into the arenas. Now, hold on to that. I want you to see the very last part of that verse, okay? Verse 12 says, he was, he, they, he was driven into the wilderness. The Spirit drove Jesus in there where he was being tempted by Satan among the wild beasts, but the angels were ministering to him. I want you to see that the angels did not keep hard times from Jesus. No, but they kept him through it. I love how Chris just introduced the song today or kind of set this up because there are times when we pray, when we speak the name of Jesus, right? And we expect something miraculous to happen, but it doesn't always go the way that we want it to. We, we want deliverance from everything that's uncomfortable. We want deliverance from hardships. We want protection from all those things that are hard for us, right? But Jesus doesn't always work that way. But as Chris said today, listen, Jesus is with us through it, even if he doesn't keep us from it. That's exactly what happened here. God the Father, who loved his son, actually sent his son into the wilderness, but not he didn't send him in there to be punished. He was sent into the wilderness to be prepared. And what he was prepared for was his ministry to the people around him, including you and me. This is the very beginning of Jesus' ministry, and he's being prepared to serve us and serve our needs. Thus, he had to be tempted in every way that we were. He had to be tried in every way that we are so that he could identify with us. I love the way the writer of Hebrews says this in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15. For we do not have a high priest. 
We do not have a God who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted just as we are, yet without sin. Jesus knows exactly what it's like to be in a wilderness. He knows exactly what it's like to be tempted. He knows exactly what it's like to feel like you're just being eaten up by everyone around you because he went through all that. So here's God the Father who loved his son but still sent him into the wilderness to prepare him for ministry to other people. Listen, Jesus did not come into this world for himself. He came for other people, including us. If you ever find yourself in a wilderness or if you ever find yourself face-to-face with temptation over and over and over again, if you're ever in a situation where you feel like everyone is out to get you, it feels like the wild beasts are coming in on you, I don't ever want you to think for a moment that your Heavenly Father does not love you. No, He is preparing you, perhaps. He is taking you through these things just like God did to His own Son. Now His Son allows us to go through these things to prepare you for other people. See, God does not have you here for yourself. You're not here just to consume resources and get all of life about, uh, about you. No, you're here for, to help other people. Now, in verse 14, two more verses in our text, and then I want to leave you with some application. But in verse 14, John is now arrested. And this is after he was arrested, Jesus now came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God. And here's the gospel. He says, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. And here we go. This is the beginning now of your journey with Christ. This is the beginning of your journey, your destination to significance. And it begins, repent and believe in the gospel. Those two things are the starting points for your journey towards significance. Now, yes, you can live your life without repentance You can live your life without believing in the gospel of God, and you'll do the best that you can do from your own resources, your own strength, your own power, your ability, and you'll arrive at a destination. But I want you to know it is far short of the destination that God has planned for you. When you submit to the lordship of Jesus Christ, repenting from yourself, right, turning away from yourself, and giving your heart and your life to Jesus Christ, and believing in the gospel, your destination will be far different than if you had not repented and believed. So Jesus wants us at the very beginning, at the very beginning of his ministry, he wants us to know that being a disciple requires repentance and believing in the gospel. Repent and believe. Now, on the surface, that sounds like simple instructions, doesn't it? Just repent and believe. But repentance is a word that's often freighted with a lot of baggage, perhaps even decades of baggage, maybe even a lifetime of baggage, because it simply means that we have to turn away from where we are going, what we are doing, what we believe in. Repentance requires sometimes uh, working through the baggage of an entire belief system, an entire worldview, an entire desire, or maybe even tradition that you've been following and have been in all of your life. It means going the opposite direction. Repent and believe. Belief has come to mean a variety of things. It can be a mild opinion or it can be a zealous conviction, one or the other, and and somewhere in between there. Now, the Hebrew interpretations for these two words, repent and believe, would have implied a lot of behavior modification. We're just going to change some things. We're going to add some new rules and new laws to our life and legislate a few things, and we'll see how that works out. 
But the Greek interpretation of these two words actually would have emphasized the transformation of the mind. So which did Jesus mean when he said, repent and believe in the gospel? Did he mean that we just change our behavior, or did he mean this transformation of mind? Well, I believe it certainly has uh, implications, behavioral implications, but the gospel is the key. The gospel never begins with the instructions to behave better. That's not where it begins. You can read all the Old Testament and read all 613 laws and the Ten Commandments, and you, by your own experience, can try to keep all those Ten Commandments and all those laws. The people in the Old Testament could not do it. Neither can you do it. Neither can I do it. We simply can't keep all those laws. It's not just about behavioral issues. That is exactly why Jesus came. So when Jesus told his hearers to repent and believe because the kingdom of God was coming, he surely meant a completely reorientation of every area of our lives. But the most fundamental in that orientation is a new set of eyes or a new set of ears, a new way of perceiving a different sense of expectation, and a vision for what God's doing in this world. You see, for the kingdom to be received, people need to have a kingdom mindset. And that means that we look at life, we look at this world with a whole different set of eyes. Uh, We hear with a different set of ears, and we process things through a different grid than the rest of the world does. Paul David Tripp says it this way, He says, if you want to change the world, you will have to change the way that you see it. To lift your vision beyond the personal focus with which so many Christians limit themselves. Now, I want you to hear me for just a moment. Because I want to wrap this up this morning with two points of application as it relates to this idea of repentance. Because there may be some of us in this room who think that we have nothing to repent of. No, we've done that years ago, right? We, we, we said we're sorry for our sins, and, you know, we, we are now living a Christian life, and, uh, you know, things are going fairly good for us. I don't really have anything to repent from. I want to challenge you just on two areas of that, because sometimes repentance is that word that we don't even include in our lives, or we think of it as these radicals holding up these signs that say, repent, right? Turn or burn. John three sixteen. repent, and we don't want to have anything to do with that. I want to suggest that maybe there are two things that we do need to repent of, and number one is this. Perhaps we need to repent of the idea that it's not about us. It's not about us. See, it's so easy to finger point, isn't it? And we look at the world around us right now and all the problems we're in. It's the Democrats' problem. It's the Republicans' party. It's the right-wing media. It's the left-wing media. It's the NFL. It's the NRA. It's the CDC. And we, we blame everybody else for the problems around us. Now, listen, I don't want to oversimplify this because I understand that systems are needed. I understand that organization is needed for, you know, and structure is needed for the organization of society. It's not that these institutions do not matter, but Jesus, Jesus never said that politics, entertainment, education, or health organizations are the answer. No, he said to his disciples, you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. You are the ones to make a difference. So if we're sitting around here blaming everybody else for the problems, perhaps the very issue is the very fact that we are not being salt and we are not being light. 
We're the ones to change the world, not the other organizations. Perhaps we need to repent of the idea that it's everyone else's problem and it's not about me. So we love our Christian circles, right? We love coming in here. And by the way, I'm so glad that you're here. I'm so glad that you're joining us online today. This is a highlight. This is a special moment of our week. In fact, we need this. But this is not all that it is. This is not all that it is about the Christian life. No, when we leave here, we go out into a world where we're also called to be Christians, especially when we go out into the world. That's where we're to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. Now, Jesus never minimized. Jesus never minimized the role of his followers. He never told them just to have modest aspirations. He never reminded them that they're only human, right? And he never, he never limited their potential as spirit-filled, powerfully equipped beings. No, he called his people, his disciples, to be the salt of the earth and to be the light of the world. Agents of seasoning and perseverance and uh, preservation and growth and brilliance. Not just to tell a story to the world, but to make this world flourish. You and I are put here to be world changers. So maybe we need to repent from thinking that everybody else is the problem, and we need to accept our responsibility to change the world, at least our part of it. Now, when Jesus called his disciples to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world, that calling came with a warning. He suggests the possibility that the salt could lose its flavor or or its potency, or that the light could be hidden and rendered ineffective. See, salt is meant to be salty. Light is meant to shine, not so that they can be glorified, but because the world desperately needs what salt and light provide. Every believer, and I firmly believe this, every believer is designed and gifted and called to meet the needs of this world. Perhaps we need to repent of the idea that it's not about us. Maybe we need to step out and be more salty and be more brilliant. We need to repent from the idea that's not about us. Now I'm really, really going to confuse you because the second thing I'm going to suggest is that perhaps we need to repent from the idea that it is all about us, right? In his book, The Fractured Republic, Yuval Levine identifies our society as enthralled by expressive individualism. We've come to believe that it's our opinions and our rights and our happiness is all that matters, Right? And when we begin to focus on that, man, it consumes us. And we spend all of our energies, we spend all of our living uh, you know, time just going after our rights and our opinions and our happiness. But that's not the gospel. That's not the gospel. We're talking about the gospel, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And here's the gospel, Luke chapter 9. Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, he must what? Deny himself herself and come after me. Take up his cross and follow me for whoever will save his or her life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. Listen, we've been taught to follow our hearts. No, no, your heart is deceitful. We follow the very heart of Christ. We've been told that our bodies belong to us and no one out there has the right to tell us what we can do or cannot do with our bodies. No, Jesus reminds us that your body is a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. We've been told that our way of thinking and our way of living is truth. You can have your truth, I'll have my truth. It doesn't matter, it's all relative. No, Jesus says, I. I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. 
See, we have this different way of looking at it. The gospel is different from what the world teaches us. And I know you're saying, yes, that's the way the world thinks, and it is. But just know, just know, church, this is a basic human self-serving nature. A little bit later in the gospel of Mark, and we're going to get to this in a couple of weeks, but in Mark chapter 10, we see a perfect example of this. There's this young rich guy who comes to Jesus and he says, Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And some of you know the story. Jesus says, listen, I want you to sell everything that you have. And he could not do it. He could not do it. He went away sad because he was not willing to give up, to give up the self, his self-centered will. Now, listen, I know I have countless stories where my own selfish nature has presided over the will of Christ. So it's not like this rich man is unique. In fact, if anything, it's too relatable. And yet when the gospel is chosen over the self-centered will of man, what a testimony that creates. The world is leery of us. The world is suspicious of Christians who say one thing but live another. Listen, and the only way that you can live the gospel, really live this out, is through that inward transformation. It's not adding more rules to your life. It's not trying to go back to that Old Testament and trying to memorize and live out the Ten Commandments. You won't be able to do that. It's allowing Jesus to simply transform you from the inside out. Real inward change tells a different story. If the nature of the human heart can be radically transformed, listen, there's hope. There's hope. That's what the world is looking for. And it needs to see it in you and me. Your fellowship with the Spirit is one of the greatest gifts that you can give to the people around you because it offers hope and it changes lives, including yours. There is more than enough evidence for the validity of the Bible, but the greatest evidence of the gospel is a transformed life. Listen, that's what this series is all about. We're taking this journey. We're stepping into this journey right now to follow Jesus Christ as he takes his journey from his earthly ministry all the way to the cross. We're going to track with him. We're going to hear him say, follow me. Next Sunday, we're going to hear those words where Jesus looks at certain people and says, follow me. And we're going to see the response of that. And we're going to put ourselves in the place of those disciples and understand more and more what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. But today, I just want you to know that it begins with repentance and belief. Repentance and belief. What do you need to repent of? The fact that we're not doing what we're supposed to do or the fact that we think too much of ourselves. Maybe it's one or the other. Maybe there's someone in this room today watching online today that has never repented of their sins. You know that you're a sinner. You're caught up in that, right? It's contrary to what the Word of God says. I'll I'll tell you right now, the greatest book in the Bible that teaches us about repentance is that book of Jonah. It's only four small chapters, but it begins by saying, the Word of the Lord came to Jonah saying, go over here. Jonah said, no, I don't want to go there. I know what the Word of God says, but I'm not going to do that. I'm going to go this way, right? He went this way. You know what happened to him. Every time, every time you walk away from what the Word of God says, you begin a downward spiral in your life, and eventually you'll hit rock bottom. Just know that's the destination you'll take if you leave the Word of God because it says when Jonah went this way and fled to Tarshish, he fled the presence of the Lord. You know where he repented? Kind of a rock bottom, the belly of the fish. I don't know you can go much lower than that. It's in the belly of the fish, and he realized the error that he made, and he turned. Repentance simply means going a different direction. 
And now he's going back to Nineveh. He's going back to follow what the Word of God says. And as a result, the whole city of Nineveh repented and came to know the Lord. See, repentance means that we go a completely different direction. Maybe there's someone here today that just needs to turn around. You've been walking away from the Word of God. You've been going the opposite direction. God's Word says go here. You're going a different direction. Just turn around. That's that's a step. Now, remember, I said repentance is weighted with baggage. It is, but it's worth it. It's worth it. Repent, believe the gospel. The gospel is the good news that we all need. It's what we long for. It's what our hearts cry out for. So repent and believe. Next week, then, we'll begin to talk about what it means now to step out and begin to follow Jesus Christ on this road to an ultimate destination of significance. Let's pray together. God, thank you so much for the Gospels. Man, we need to be reminded again of this good news that you came to bring into our world. This is not just something for other people. This is for us. We desire to hear you say to us, follow me, because it's the direction. It's ultimately the destination that our hearts long for. It's what we've been created for. So my prayer through this entire series would be that we would lean in, we would hear the words of Jesus saying, follow me, we would begin to understand even more what it means to be a disciple. Because there is a destination of significance that you have planned and prepared for every single one of us. God forbid that we would miss that destination and create one of our own. We want the one that you have for us. And so teach us, Lord, what it means. God, if there's any one of us right now in this room that needs to repent Perhaps that's all of us need to repent of our ways, the very fact that we've chosen a different direction perhaps than what you're calling us to. Maybe we even need to repent because we've not been doing what you've called us to, or maybe we're thinking too highly of ourselves, whatever it is. Lord, we just confess our sins before you this morning, and we thank you that you are a God who is faithful and just who forgives us of our sins and cleanses us from all unrighteousness. Lord, I thank you for that beginning to our journey now to a place of significance. God, help us to take one step after another, beginning with repentance and now believing in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, I thank you that you are able, you're able to save, you're able to transform, you're able to make a difference in our lives, and we trust you with that in Jesus' name. Amen.